Wow, thank you. Great introduction. The accurate, so many of the introductions I get don't seem to be very accurate. So thank you, Rob. Of course, the devil can use those kind of introductions. But uh, I guess the Lord has humbled me in so many ways through my stupidity and failures that uh, there isn't too much chance that any longer of uh, getting carried away. Just the grace of God. I want to thank you for praying for uh, OM, Operation Mobilization. I really mean that. I met a little group of you. Is it is it Roberto? Uh, do I have his name wrong? My man from South America. Where's all the Latin Americas? ¿Cuántos aquí hablan español? ¿Dónde están? Unos pocos. Some of you down on Lagos too, going through the Panama Canal. That was a great uh, encouragement. We hope you'll continue to send teams of people with Operation Mobilization. God is using young people. I'm excited about the young people. I know a lot of people go around, oh, this generation, you know, they're all a bunch of wimps and they don't know how, they don't have any discipline and they're all these different negative things. But I'm excited about your generation and it's a humble privilege uh, so many years later to still be speaking at Christian colleges I've heard in my lifetime a lot of criticism against Christian colleges. We don't even have them in Great Britain. So the Brits, they really have a go at Christian colleges. You know, the born-again people in Britain, they go up to Oxford, they go to Cambridge. Some of them get a little, pr little proud in the process. But many of them have got saved. Come on, OM. There's now 2,200 of us full-time in this fellowship. But I'm not only greatly convinced about the Christian college movement, never graduated from one, but I'm still greatly convinced even about the Bible college movement. I did manage to squeak through and graduate from Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. They've actually brought me across the Atlantic to speak at Founders Week. That's where I've just come from. And I was so wrestling with what to speak about this morning. I just had high energy fellowship for the last hour and a half with John MacArthur. Wow, it's like fellowshipping with a lightning rod. And uh, it was really great. And what a great gift of Bible exposition. He has many gifts, but... And I thought, well, I'm certainly not going to come here and try to expound the Word of God. Forget it. And so I was wrestling with, what should I speak at Master's College? You have already had some missionary messages. I like to give missionary messages. I'm not a very good missionary. And um, some missionaries I find really boring. But I know that you had some powerful missionary challenge last week or whenever, and many of you are geared up to going. How many of you are seriously praying about going to the mission field, at least for a couple of years? I don't want to know about summer. But at least you're thinking about a couple of years and maybe longer term. You're already fairly serious about that. Raise your hand. That's just mind-bending. So many of you. How are we going to get you out there? Who's going to pay for all that? Your father? A lot of missionaries that want to go right now, they're not getting there. They can't find the money. So that's That's interesting. Of course, the key is those of you who remain behind. Link up with those who are planning to go. Make a pledge, faith promise. 
Got a new book on it. Happens to be on the table out there on how you can get involved in sending missionaries. Those of you who know OM, you know about our ships, you know that we're bookaholics. I just got a couple of hundred from John. Wherever we go, we're getting books and we're selling books. And I have brought a few books with me. And Kevin, I have to go on to other appointments after lunch, but Kevin, who's got Rob Provost's job, very different kind of a character, dresses differently, but Kevin's here. And you can meet him and get to find out about Operation Mobilization. Because OMers, those 2,200, 4 or 5,000 in the summer, come from 40 different nations and all different cultures. You can't get them all to look alike or dress alike and even think alike, though they're all born again believers who love God's Word. Let me mention a few of the books, because otherwise I'll forget them when I get going. We put together a special package of about $15 of books that for a master's college student, five bucks. And you can pay by a post-dated check dated up to the year 2000. <laughs> Priority one, an $8 book, hard-hitting, straight from the waist, spiritual Clint Eastwood type of uh, book that will really speak to your heart. Priority one, seven, eight dollars. From now on, one of the most godly men Europe ever knew. Out of print, now back in print. From now on, how to grow, how to be strong, how to get into the Word of God. Ralph Shallis, missionary from England to North Africa and France, so fluent in French, he wrote in French. An Englishman wrote in French. We translated it back into English. Five, six dollar book. We throw that in with the five dollars. No turning back. My own book. Half page ad about it in Moody Monthly this month. I don't know. It's not that great. But uh, God has used it. It's upset a lot of people. People end up repenting. Talks about balance. Talks about sex what to do in marriage. I guess you can read that section. All of those three books and any one of these magazine books, Personal Revival is the best one to choose, all for $5, even five Canadian, even five Mexican. So you got the point. The book table's right outside there. Later it will be moved to the student uh, center because we know you're all running around. The book I like to recommend the most is Calvary Road. For 25 years, you couldn't join OM if you didn't read Calvary Road. It's a book about personal revival. It's a book about Jesus. And if you read that and it doesn't challenge you out of your socks, you write to me, I'll apologize, and send you 25 free books with my apology. We've also got these globes. I knew you wanted to have that. Whoever has it in their hand can keep it. It's a gift. But the rest have to pay $4. And if you miss that opportunity, you're crazy. These come all the way from Taiwan. They're very hard to get. <laughs> but we've got these other maps as well. This is a brand new map of the world. This is a famous unreached people's map. Comes out of Norway, reprinted in California. And... Um, 
I find that when I pray, my mind so easily wanders. Um, so I use maps and books and prayer letters in, in my praying. And I recommend you get a map of the world, put it up on your wall, in your room, and it will help you pray. Prayer is where it's at. Really. What is the Great Commission? Go. Before the go of the Great Commission, you have Matthew chapter 9. Pray. When I arrived at Moody Bible Institute, I had already committed myself to the life of prayer. I didn't want to start an organization. I didn't know God was going to lead me to live in India. I wanted to just know God. That was the passion of my life. And at 17 or 18, I remember praying, Lord, I only want one thing in my life. I want to know how to pray. I knew the reason God used Billy Graham, who in some ways was such an ordinary person. People from the South, I never understood them anyway. How could God ever use Billy Graham? The only way I understood it, God answers prayer. Billy Graham in those days was still a hillbilly. Change, of course, you know, he got to meet with presidents and prime ministers and he got sophisticated. But uh, the secret of Billy Graham is prayer. Women who used to follow him around, old women, and just pray into the night. I prayed with one of those ladies once. I thought I was going to ignite. I hope you're a man, a woman of prayer. I have many scriptures I want to read to you. In fact, I just, to save time, just want to recommend everything between Genesis and Revelation. Just study all that and you'll get my message. Because I'm limited in time here today. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Memorize it. The psalmist said, I've hid thy word in my heart that I may not sin against you. I need some water. Water. Coca-Cola is better, but whatever. 1 Timothy 4, 12. Forgive me, I have a little trouble with my vocal cords. And I'm actually under a doctor's care. And I'm not supposed to be speaking so much. I'm trying to cut down. It used to be 800 times a year. My vocal cords started growing things. So now I only preach 420-some times a year. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers, word, conduct, love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. Keep that in mind. What a challenge to young people. Isn't it great that God is so concerned for young people? Give special verses just for young people. What an exciting period you are in your life. You may not realize it, but you're at the crossroads. The decisions you make now, they will determine the, the rest of your life. By the time I was 22, most of the heavy building blocks of my life, they were laid. They were, found, they were put there. And I've been building on that ever since. Let no man despise thy youth. Then go to Acts, my favorite book, I guess, at least in my top 30. Chapter 20, Acts chapter 20. We don't have time to read that whole chapter. Starting at verse 19. Look at this. Serving the Lord with all humility of mind. How are you doing on the humility thing? 
Not the big thing in America, is it? Humility. Oh, man. Humility, that's for wimps. We've got to be assertive. We've got to be rugged individualists. We've got to speak our mind. We've got to blah, blah, blah. Serving the Lord with all humility of mind, with many tears. How many of you are into tears? I've heard at Master's College, you're really biblical. Wow! I always like to speak to biblical people. But let me tell you, it's one thing to get it in your head. It's another thing to have it explode in your heart. And when it explodes in your heart, you'll be like Jesus. You'll be like the Apostle Paul. You'll know how to weep. How many have been weeping in the last month or two? Over souls going out into hell without Jesus Christ. Over a lost and dying world. Over some of your own friends whose lives are messed up. How many of you have been weeping in the last two months? Just raise your hand. I don't have any video cameras. Just raise your hand. Good, we got a few who have been weeping. I thought when I was a kid, weeping was for sissies. I was a fighter. I fought with these fists from age four to age 17 when I was saved. Goes together with being a hothead and having too much sexual drive. I even got in a fight with a girl. Heavy in primary school. I mean, big time, big crowd. Ah, she won. Whoa. <laughs> we want to forget that one. Serving the Lord with all humility of mind, with many tears, many tears, and trials. Are you into that? That's a good one. This young college student came to his pastor, Lord, pray that I'd have patience. Pastor laid his hand on him and began to pray, Lord, send this young man trials, tribulations, problems, heartaches, difficulties. Break his heart. The kid said, hey, pastor, I asked you to pray that I'd have more patience. The pastor, a wise old owl, opened the word of God and said, look what it says here. Tribulation bringeth patience. Next time you pray for patience, be careful. Be careful. Humility, tears, trials which befell me by the lying in the weight of the Jews. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have shown you and have taught you. This is Acts 20.20. 20. Somebody called it 2020 vision. Publicly and from house to house. You ever go house to house? I think the last thing Christians want to do. <laughs> Supposed to be God's chosen people. Most of them, in my view, are God's frozen people. The last thing they want to do is any kind of confrontation evangelism. Now it's got to be all friendship evangelism. All, you know, just sort of laid back we don't really talk to him about Jesus for the first couple of years and sensitive approach. God can use that. God is sovereign. He used the donkey in the Old Testament so he may use your friendship evangelism in the New Testament. I certainly don't believe in enemy evangelism. Though when you preach the gospel, you bring the sword. Wow. I wanted a glass. I didn't want to be baptized. Oh, this is a Coke. Look at this. Thank you very much. This will be told all over the world and you will be remembered. <laughs> I have kept back nothing. This is the great Apostle Paul. This is the great leader of the church. This is the great pioneer missionary. I have kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have shown you and have taught you publicly, but not just a public ministry, but house to house testifying both 
to the Jews and also to the Greeks repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. Heart of the gospel. Repentance. People don't like that word. But there it is. And it's written right through the New Testament. Except that the Holy Spirit. No, verse 22. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Except that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, actually the book of Acts is the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes in some little churches, you just mention the Holy Spirit, people get nervous. And I understand because there is a lot of extremism, weird extremism, under the name of the Holy Spirit. A guy came to England recently, he has a, he has a jacket. He just waves his jacket at people. The whole choir, boom, zaps them. They all fall off their chairs on the floor. I mean, that could be handy. I mean, you imagine this global jacket, what I'd like to do. You know, just wave the jacket over you, and, you know, some of you immediately to India, some immediately to China, some immediately to Africa. But it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. So there is a lot of extremism in the name of the Holy Spirit. And it takes great discernment. A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite authors, said the greatest gift in the church today that's needed is discernment. Wow. He recommended that people develop a little bit of holy reverence. Holy reverence and skepticism. So if someone comes and tells you that, you know, they just saw a tree in the woods filled with a spirit, you don't just believe it immediately. You know, you go check it out. Maybe. But one thing that is for sure, just as extremism in the name of the Holy Spirit is deadly and dangerous, overreacting, overreacting to that and ending up in the deep freeze of dead orthodoxy is also a dead-end street. Make sure you don't do it in your ministry. D.L. Moody the founder of Moody Bible Institute used to emphasize the need to be filled with the Spirit. I'm sure you've heard this before, but I love to tell it again. It's dedicated to the freshmen. And he would talk about the need to be filled again and again and again. And one day a lady in the front row said, Excuse me, Mr. Moody, why do you keep saying we should be filled again and again and again? He looked her in the eye and he said, Madam, because I leak. I can relate to that. And you know, in your heart, you can relate to that. Because through the pressures and the trials and the difficulties and the subtle strategies of a Satan, we sometimes leak, spiritually speaking. Except that the Holy Spirit witnessed this in every city. Bonds and afflictions await me. But none of these things move me. My first trip, which wasn't to Mexico, it was to the western part of the United States. I was still in business selling firefighting equipment, but I started to give out Gospels. I'd just been converted. I spent a whole night reading right through the whole book of Acts, hungry for God, hungry for His Word. And that 24th verse in this chapter, this is 36 years ago, became my life verse. Later on, I wasn't sure I believed in life verses, but then I did. Look at that verse. 
none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. And the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Now, behold, I'd love to, by the way, talk to you all morning on verse 24. I haven't even got to my message yet. It's just a warm-up. So I'm going to have to rush. Now, behold, I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore I testify unto you this day, I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. And then he goes on, about being an overseer, about the Holy Spirit. Notice verse 31. Therefore watch and remember that for the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. That verse, verse shook me. That verse gripped me. I couldn't cry, and so I repented. I, I didn't have that as a reality, and so I said, God, I make that my aim. As a young Christian Bible college student, I said, God, that is my aim. That is my passion. I will work night and day until this reality that I read here burning in the pages of the book of Acts is my reality. God, in His grace, made this real in my life. Not in the absence of failures and doubts and struggles and, and, and weakness, but in the midst of it. Young person, don't be intimidated by your failures. Don't be intimidated by your lack of spiritual sort of glow, your lack of thirst or hunger for God or His Word, for we're living in days when we have been drugged. We have been drugged by television. We have been drugged by literature. We have been drugged by magazines. And if you have been drugged by our culture, even the religious culture you may come from, it will take time for you to become the kind of man we're reading about or woman here in the pages of the book of Acts. But I ask of you, make that your aim. That kind of reality, that kind of intensity, that kind of prayer ministry, that kind of, of, of broken compassion that leads to weeping and that leads to spiritual revolution. The whole counsel of God. That is my burden this morning. And all I can do is play my little part among all the men and women that God brings into your life. And so in wrestling with what I would share with you, I decided to take the risk and give a message the Lord gave me for the Bible College and Christian College movement. I first gave it at Prairie Bible Institute, where I've been linked for many decades. More missionaries have come out of Prairie than any, any Bible college in the world. The message is entitled, it's actually patterned after a business book. Uh, seven things they didn't teach me at Harvard Business School. I think it's Harvard. doesn't matter. One of the big business schools. Seven things they didn't teach me. It's a great book. Radical ideas. Sold hundreds of thousands of copies. Some of you are taking notes. That encourage, that's encouraging. Others are writing your boyfriends. The Lord bless him. Give him some verses. Send him a free book with a letter. But if you want a title for this little talk, this little burden, because in the Word of God we don't only have exposition. We have men and women like the Apostle Paul. The same was true in the day of George Whitfield that came to the churches with much exhortation. So we've looked at those few verses for background. 
And now I want to share this exhortation. Seven things they didn't teach me at Bible college. Seven things they didn't teach me at Bible college. Now, of course, it's 35 years ago. So I, I don't want to get in too much trouble here. I can assure you, I know very little about your college. And I'm not saying, so some of you faculty, just, you know, calm down a little bit. I'm not saying they're not teaching this at Master's College. I'm saying, in way of testimony, they didn't teach me much about these seven things at Bible College. And because of it, many of the students that went with, to Bible College with me were blown away. The president of the class overthrew the Christian faith in one year. I was at my class reunion, 40 graduates, most of them blown away, broken world experiences, divorce. Very few of them seem to be doing much for the kingdom of God, though that is not for me to judge. Back in the 50s and in the early 60s, and it's always true of the church, church is never perfect, I believe we were failing to teach that generation the whole counsel of God. Now, you can read about these things in the library, and I was a library aholic. If I found my class boring, and many of them were, I would go to the library for entertainment and choose my own books. That's where I got the vision for Turkey. That's where I got the vision for Iraq. Many of the visions I got that later became a reality in answer to prayer, I got in the library of the Moody Bible Institute. So, in a sense, we don't have any excuse. And then I read extra books that dealt with these subjects. Let me quickly give you these seven reasons. Most of the time I speak on this, I only get through three or four. And I have people running up to me after to get the other ones, and I won't give it. I only give what I give verbally. What they didn't teach me at Bible college, they didn't teach me very much about sex. I know some of you are young, that is spelled S-E-X, sex. Spelling is not a big thing. Even the secretaries today have to have correctors, correctors, you know. So if they spell sex wrong, they can push a button on the computer, and then it comes out right on the computer. So little was said about sex. We talked vaguely about marriage. But we didn't say much about what happens when you get married, you know, what happens on the first night. What, what do you do? Play uh, Monopoly on the first night. Well, I mean, what's this about? 500 or more verses in the Word of God. You want to be biblical? Over 500 verses in the Word of God about sex. Proverbs, three full chapters. Three full chapters. I was going door to door with books as a young Christian. I met a woman. She bought a load of books, made me real happy. Then she sat me down and she said, Son, she must have seen that I didn't look very intelligent. She said, son, you should read a proverb every day. Look, there's 31, one for every day of the month. Since that day, 34 years ago, to this day, I read proverbs almost every day. And those three chapters strengthened me in my battle against sexual temptation. Another major leader in Washington, D.C., just shot down, adultery. California seems to lead the pack. We read in the London newspapers about your pastors fornicating in California. Really great for the church, isn't it? 
really helps us in trying to evangelize the world. When characters like Jimmy Swagger, one of the most famous Christians in the world, whatever you may think about him, he's famous in the Muslim world. He's famous in Pakistan. It really helps us when all over the Muslim world they get all these stories about his immorality. Let me tell you, young person, this stuff is without excuse. And we need to start teaching. And places like Moody Bible Institute in the 50s that were not teaching this, they are partly responsible. In fact, in the church, especially the victorious life crowd, and I believe in the victorious life, we sometimes give the idea, mix it with a cocktail of false humility, that we really can't do anything, and it's just Jesus and just the grace of God. It comes out when we, a guy falls into adultery and we say, Oh, except by the grace of God, there I go. What kind of cockeyed nonsense is that? Because when the guy who said that later falls into sin, then according to his theology, the grace of God was absent. No. The apostolic teaching is slightly different. Why don't you try the Apostle Paul again in 1 Corinthians 9? Apostle Paul, man of God, what does he say? I buffet my body. I buffet my body and bring it into subjection, lest after preaching to others, I become a reprobate. Billy Graham, speaking at the Great Urbana Convention, said, if you don't get the victory over the impurity issue, you lose the most important victory in your young life. And went on to speak about discipline. If you're not willing to... In the area of sexuality, then you are not going to amount to much for the kingdom of God. Get books on this subject. There are good books. If you can't find some, write to me. Get someone that you're walking in the light with about your problems and struggles. Get into scripture memory. Develop intensive discipline. Study every scripture on the subject. Develop a balanced biblical view on the subject of sex. And beware of the subtle perfume of early romance. Many of our Bible colleges and Christian colleges have come nothing more than advanced stage Sunday schools for the propagation of romance. And before young people get grounded in the Word of God, before they know how to do spiritual warfare, before they know how to tear down enemy strongholds, before they know how to win people to Jesus Christ, before they know how to handle their strong emotions, they get caught up in some premature romance because when they look at a particular gal, they get a pitter-patter that feels so nice. What a bunch of jerks. What a bunch of jerks. Most of these men who fall into immorality, it's the same feeling. It's the same feeling. They're, things are going a bit rough in the marriage. They've been with the same woman for 25 years. She's starting to get a bit bad. He doesn't get turned on anymore. And then he goes in and he sees this little girl playing the piano. Oh, boy. Oh, I feel so nice when I'm around her. Compared to when I'm around my wife, she's picking on me because I went over her carpet with my dirty shoes. You laugh. It's good to laugh in the church. If you don't laugh, you'll go crazy. Develop a sense of humor. I hope you have a course on it. 
Because God's people, my experience with them all over the world, 37 years, God's people, many of them, they're weird, man. They're weird. One minute they're preaching the gospel, the next minute they're back in the church office on top of the secretary fornicating with a hundred different Bibles surrounding them. If that ain't weird, then you are now witnessing a flying cockroach. I don't know what they put in this. How am I going to get to the other six points? Number two. They didn't teach me. They didn't teach me much about money. We didn't talk about money much. It wasn't spiritual. We were told to pray. You need money? Pray. I fell for it. And some of the great men of God, George Mueller, who I began to admire, Hudson Taylor, because we don't meet these men. We're not able to go up to them and see if they got any warts. You know, Hudson Taylor, you got any warts? These are just men in history. So we, we lift up these people, don't we? These missionaries. And, and we hear, well, they just prayed for money. And whatever they prayed, it came. And so, in our whole movement, we almost banned talking about money. Fundraising? Wow! That's a prank of the devil. Fundraising. But we didn't hear much about money. They didn't tell us. Those of us in the missionary course. I was in the missionary course. They didn't tell us how hard it was to raise support to go to the mission field. I'd seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of sincere young men and women for 35 years, Europeans and Americans, wanting to go, mature people, even guys that learn a language in one year, unable to go because they couldn't find the money. Let me just tell you, if we don't get serious about some of these things, and I'm sure things have changed, especially in a college like yours, but if we don't get serious about this, I believe when we graduate, you will basically graduate with a partially fantasy view of life. Bible colleges, even more than Christian colleges, produce, if they're not careful, a fantasy view of life filled with Bible cliches and Christian books and ideas that are only partial truths. That's why I tell young people, go get Philip the answers. You're interested in prayer? You believe God answers prayer? You believe in miracles? You believe God supplies money? Great. Go get Philip Yancey's book, Disappointment with God. I challenge you to have the guts to read it because what he talks about that book is what I've experienced all over the world with thousands of people. We have 75,000 OM graduates for the last 35 years. Life is not what you think it is, most of you. And prayer isn't what many of us think it is. You walk out of this college in a few years, it is going to be rough and it is going to be tough. And some of you are going to have problems even getting a job, much less being a career missionary that takes 50 grand a year with some of our American mission societies, who many internationals are saying are basically outpricing themselves 
in the international missionary marketplace, and I hear more negative things about American missionaries than I ever have before. Praise God for beautiful exceptions, dynamic, committed, sacrificial American missionaries, and I believe we need them as much as ever before, who are out living in a more simple, moderate lifestyle and having a powerful testimony even among the poor. If you can read some books about fundraising, biblical books by good men or women, if you can talk to people about this subject and begin to develop understanding of economics, begin to understand where the American church really is in terms of finance, as they're cutting back on missionary budgets, as missionaries are coming back from the field and not going back, all kinds of things that you wouldn't believe could happen when you're sitting there being cloned and being schooled, as I was, and treated almost as a hero to a tiny degree, to go out and give my life as a missionary. Fortunately, I started to raise money before I was saved. Even for Bibles. When I read the Gospel, I got excited about it. I joined an organization, Pocket Testament League, and I got a film and I showed it in my church, a totally liberal church, didn't preach the Gospel, and all kinds of things happened. You can imagine what happened later when I got converted. I would challenge you to learn how to raise money. How many of you are having a struggle paying your school fees? What do you call it over here? Cool school fees? College fees? What's the other word? Tuition. Woo! At Moody, we were tuition free. Mind you, they charge you a fortune to stay in the place, but it was tuition free. How many of you, be honest, are struggling? You haven't got all that money in, you're praying, and you're struggling with finance. Okay, that's about 35%. So surely you know you want to enroll in the next course they have on finance. How do you get it? How do you spend it? How do you budget? How do you deal with an interesting situation after you get married? When you say, we're not going to spend any money on this. And your wife says, oh, yes, we are going to spend money on this. And you say, but we believe in biblical submission. And she says, yes, but we're going to buy this. And so you look through your notebook. You know, you go back to your college notebook. How to handle my wife when she wants to spend all the money that I don't have. Let's face it. Let's face it. I'm going to upset some people, but I'm going to say it anyway. Most women in America are materialists. Whatever else they're talking about, the bottom line, they are materialists. That's why most of them aren't going to go to the mission field and live in some little hut in the jungle where they have to wash. I remember this girl came on OM, a crisis. Ah, she's grabbing her head. Ah, you know, thought she was being martyred. No, she had to wash her hair in cold water. The end of the world. You think our materialistic instinct just disappears when we raise our hand in a gospel meeting? This is why this easy believism teaching is such a curse, such a curse on our nation that people think they can be saved and nothing happens. Now, it's true. Some people at the moment of conversion, when I've seen it, they've been mixed up people, they've had difficulties, and after their conversion at least the way I saw it, not a lot happened. But as I looked closer, I could see the change had begun because Jesus Christ was becoming Lord of their lives. Young person, declare war against materialism, but don't get into extremism because no matter how filled you are with the Spirit, 
no matter how dedicated you are, you are still incredibly human. And develop a grace-awakened attitude, especially toward your wife, when she wants to go out and buy something that you don't think is necessary. Financial pressure is one of the greatest pressures on the mission field. Many families have been destroyed. I've seen them in my own ministry, my own work. Financial pressure. Extremism comes in. We need to study a little more about this. We need a little, maybe read a little more widely. We need to make sure we're not getting into something extreme. As I know I did. It hurt a lot of people in the early days of OM. I wouldn't even buy a piece of soap when I was at Moody. I believe in claiming the soap through prayer. Everything was prayer. I go down to the wash place. I lived in the YMCA. They didn't have any room for me in the inn or the institute. So I lived in the YMCA. And I pray in the name of Jesus. I didn't shower that much anyway, but I pray in the name of Jesus. I need some soap. And I go down there and find soap. I was so proud of my soap testimony. Imagine going around testifying about finding soap. But I tied it all into spiritual things, spiritual warfare. I remember brothers following my example, going down, asking Jesus for soap, not being able to find any, crawling on the shower floor, trying to get a few little flakes off the floor to say somehow they found some soap. Extremism. I never dreamed that extremism could come so quickly into a movement that was committed, was in the Word, was spiritual, and that God was using. See, the fact that God uses you doesn't mean that everything is all right. God was using me, but there were extremes, there were areas of imbalance and lack of wisdom and grace and just plain teaching that I didn't have. Money. Bible talks a lot about it. I praise God, Moody, Founders Week a few days ago for our alumni luncheon. They were dedicating the luncheon to Moody graduates in the marketplace. Moody, we used to call it the secular job. Now it's in the marketplace. They're now equal. We missionaries used to be the heroes. We're going first class. All these guys in secular work, well, they're dropout. Second class. Brothers and sisters, some of you are offered your father's business that could be used for his glory and that could perhaps put money into the kingdom of God. I would think twice before turning it down. Because the need for finance right now in the work of God is just as great as the need for workers. We've got to have both. Yes, we need teaching about money. I'm going to ask Bob Provost to give me a five-minute sign when I get near the five-minute mark. Because I think I'm getting near there. My watch is on London time. It's 7.20 in the evening. I really have shot my time. <clears throat> Number three, I'll just give you the rest of my list, list, perhaps, so you don't get frustrated. We didn't get much teaching about the complexity of the church in the world today. Nobody told me there were 22,000 denominations. Now, most of them all claim to have the truth. Nobody told me that there'd be godly people winning people to Jesus Christ, building churches, demonstrating God with beautiful lives who did not have the same theology as me. 
coming out of Moody. We were given the idea that those with our theology are the good guys, and those with the other theology, you know, they're the bad guys. Watch out for them. And I got so confused, you know, like some of the modern movies. I'm a bit of a movie buff. You know, I just watched Lord More Man. A bit confusing, you know, Lord More Man. Is it good? Is it bad? Is he good? Is he bad? Is there any lesson in that? Should we attack it? Should we propagate it? Lord More Man, don't, don't watch it. So I went out into the mission field, first Mexico, then Spain, then Russia, then England, a lot of different countries. God was working, people being converted, churches being born. But as I got out there, some of the bad guys seemed to be doing good things. <laughs> and some of the good guys seemed to be doing bad things. Let me tell you, I almost lost my Christian faith. Have you ever gotten near that? Is anybody here that gets near to losing your faith, whatever term you want to use, why don't you write me about it? I've been there and back about 100 times. You know, that's my kind of temperament. Some of you might have got the idea of a little bit erratic, a little extreme. How could God keep a guy like me? It's a miracle of grace, isn't it? And if God could keep a guy like me, none of you have any excuse. I don't care what your problem is. Money, sex, weird doctrines, can't tie your tie properly, your underwear is on backward. There is hope for you. Don't be discouraged. But develop wisdom. Balance. Realize your Bible college and your Christian education is for a lifetime. You get that? It goes on and on. You don't have to have every answer when you graduate here. You don't have to agree with every single thing that I say or anybody else says. You can keep growing, keep thinking, keep learning, keep an open mind. And then you see, you don't get out on a limb, cut it off, and end up a real fool. The complexity of the church in the world today, the complexity of the whole area of, of doctrine, and I believe in sound doctrine, and I believe we can know the truth that is clear in the Word of God. And you are privileged people to be in such a biblical place. But as you go from here just a couple of years, be ready to be challenged. Don't be blown away when some of the things are not quite as simple as maybe you thought at college. Number four, they didn't tell me that much about the whole thing of organizing myself. Practical organization. Survival. How to make a phone call. How to send a fax. How to drive properly. How to organize addresses. How to write letters. How to answer letters. How to use the telephone. How to... There's about 100 areas, just basic areas, practical areas where we all need to learn. This is why I believe God has raised up OM to take people who have been in college, majoring in academics, and some practical, of course, and taking them out in rough, hard situations, India, Egypt, Europe, on ships, wherever, and getting to, to learn practical survival. The Bible doesn't tell you everything you need to know. Misquote that one and you'll get me in real trouble. But God, the Bible doesn't tell you, lovely lady, you've got beautiful hairstyles here. What a range of hairstyles. Lovely. Where did you, did you learn that in the Bible? Some of you drive a car. Did you learn that in the Bible? There are many things 
In the practical world, the Bible doesn't teach us how to send a fax, how to make a phone call. Life in the world with the computer is getting more and more and complicated. And a lot of Christians, I really think, they're a bit naive. Develop some skill if you possibly can. How many of you know how to word process? Do you know how much word processors are needed in Christian work? How many of you can word process? That's just a basic, simple skill everybody's learning now. Raise your hand. Oh, a lot of you are left out. You're afraid of the computer, right? I pray that you will be a balanced person and develop the ability to organize. Ever read that book, Reordering or Ordering Your Private World? A little intimidating for my kind of temperament. There are other books, basic books, not only save you time. Think of the word of the Lord, redeem the time. Are you into that? man of God once said, the greatest sin of young people is wasting time. Maybe everything else I've said this morning isn't for you, but maybe that is. Redeeming the time. This is why we don't have more people in the prayer meeting. This is why we don't have more people out in evangelism. They don't know how to redeem the time. And so they're constantly running around in circles, keeping up with their few courses, doing their little job. We need to learn how to survive on planet Earth. Practical organization. Buy up opportunities to respond in that area. And then next, what am I up to? Number four? Five. How complex people were. We didn't have much study in those days. It's greatly changed now. It's gone extreme now, the other way. So I don't need to say much on this. Study people. Get to know people. Meet a wide range of people right here at the college, especially those who come in from different countries. Try to understand the way they think. Try to understand the frustration of, of working in a second language. Learn to not just love people. That sounds real nice. Why don't you try to learn how to like people? God taught me when I was young how to like people. I'm not naturally that way, I don't think. I don't know, that's maybe debatable. I've hardly ever met a Christian that with a little effort I couldn't like. I like people. I fellowship with people of 60 nations, all kinds of temperaments. I pray for them. Now many thousands on my prayer list. So I have to spend a lot of time in prayer. That's a challenge and a joy. You didn't teach me so much about prayer either. That was sort of taken for granted. Every Christian prayed. We had a couple of good sermons. But coming to get practical instruction about prayer, how to lead a live prayer meeting, how to deal with the spirit of boredom, how to get people over some of the humps and the obstacles of unbelief and other difficulties. But that's a separate message. But I would ask you to study and get a greater understanding of people Beware of generalizations. Beware of just believing anything you read. Beware of just immediately evaluating someone by an initial reaction. Then they didn't teach me enough about the unreached people. We had a general challenge about missions. I took a missionary course, but nobody made it clear that there were so many places and people groups. We didn't talk about people groups. We talked about nations. We didn't focus very much on the unreached people of the world and out of the library 
And out of other books I read, I realized all these thousands of groups where the church doesn't exist, doesn't exist. Should that not be one of the greatest burdens on our heart? And then lastly, didn't teach me enough, I feel, about personal revival. We talked about revival. We had lectures on the history of revival. Nobody clearly explained to me that it was my privilege in Jesus to live every day in personal revival. I believe right now every one of you should be living in personal revival. What is personal revival? Just Jesus. Jesus. Jesus living through you. Not in the absence of your struggles and your doubts, but in the midst of it. That means repenting. That means apologizing. That's what that book's about. That's what this little book also that came out of the East African Revival is about. It's called Personal Revival. As far as I know, ever since those early years, and really almost back to my conversion, but especially since those early years, Bible college, every day, I've known something of revival. Every day motivated. Every day in prayer. Every day in the Word. I know when I say this, people say, oh, what a boast. No, Paul. I've already shared about my struggles, my failures. My testimonies in this new book published by Moody Press. It's all about my failures. Revival is not in the absence of doubts and struggles and failures and questions. Revival is in the midst of those things as we focus on Jesus. As we keep everything else in its right place and make our priority Jesus. So we live Jesus, we preach Jesus, we love Jesus, we worship Jesus, we abide in Jesus, we're crucified with Jesus. He's our Savior, our Lord, our King, the Alpha, the Omega, the Prince of Peace. Jesus is everything. And everything else comes under His Lordship and His power and His Word. Brothers and sisters, that's revival. Don't wait any longer. Repent right now. And if you get in trouble tomorrow, repent again. And you'll learn to breathe the fresh Holy Ghost oxygen of daily power and revival in Jesus. Let's do it. We've talked about it. We've heard about it. We've read about it. Let's do it. Let's do it here at Master's College. And from this college, it will spread even to the ends of the earth. Amen. Let us pray. Let's have a moment of silent prayer. Time is gone. We need a moment of silent prayer. I'm not going to give an invitation. I could, and I know some of you would stand up because the Spirit of God is striving with you. I don't want to be accused of any kind of emotional manipulation. I am an emotional person. I try to be less emotional, especially in England. But I want you to think through these things. I want you to examine the Scriptures. See if these things be so. I want you to listen to some of those tapes, some of the books that are on the table. Like Calvary Road. And then I want you in the quiet of your own room or in your next prayer day. Or right here, right now. I'm not going to stop anybody who's wanting to do business for God right now. Take a new step of faith. And believe God. That Jesus is going to reign and rule in your heart. Every day. 
You're going to put your hands on the plow and you're not going to turn back. And you're going to appropriate every opportunity you have here at college to learn not just the things coming at you academically, which I hope will include some of these areas, but you're going to study, you're going to read, you're going to get exposed to other countries, other people. And you're going to continue that education, that biblical education as a learner, as a trainee, as a servant of King Jesus the rest of your life. Will you make that commitment? And ask God for that wisdom, that balance, and that discernment you need to be, God, to be God's man, to be God's woman, to go where He wants you to go, to do what He wants you to do, whether it's in the marketplace of California or the ends of the earth in Albania. Because both are equally valid ministries. Just pray another moment silently and then I'll close. Oh Lord, you know everything about us. And you love us still. And Lord, I know with all communication, especially from my mouth, will come some miscommunication. Lord, you know my love for Moody Bible Institute. And I have no resentment or bitterness. And not much was said about these seven areas. Maybe more was said than I was able to pick up in my own extremism and stubbornness and fast lane kind of operation. But, oh God, don't let us miss your whole counsel. And enable us to marry, oh God, the practical with the spiritual. The human with the divine. And be the kind of men, the kind of women that 20 and 30 and 40 years down the road will still be running the race. will still be experiencing that personal revival. will still know you as the Lord of our life. And be accomplishing your purposes, whether in some small hidden way or whether in a way that is more higher profile. Oh God, you know our hearts. You know everything about us. You love us still. We bathe in that love. We receive that forgiveness. We're empowered by that grace through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. God bless you. Though I can't be around, you can write me a letter and I will read it. And if your address is there, you may get an answer. Amen. I know there's a song, so don't rush out of your seats yet.